Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, please turn with me once again to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, as we are going to uh, conclude and wrap up the Beatitudes here this morning and considering verses 7 through 12. Our focus text will be verses 7 through 12. And as always, I would like to encourage you to utilize your bulletin, uh, get a pen out and utilize the sermon notes page um, and uh, write things down that would be helpful to you for further study or remembrance um, as you desire and seek to grow as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Matthew chapter 5 And we will begin in verse 7. As we prepare to hear the Word of God preached and read, let us go before Him together in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we open Your Word now, we do pray for Your rich blessings upon Your people in the illuminating work of Your Holy Spirit in opening our eyes, opening our ears, opening our understanding, that we would truly receive your word as it is. It is the word of the living God. It is for us today. Lord, help us to receive it well. May your spirit work it in our lives and put its truth into practice. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ Jesus, the greatest sermon ever preached is the Sermon on the Mount. Hands down. It is the greatest sermon as it comes from the mouth of King Jesus, the Lord and the Savior and the head of his church, the King over his kingdom. Glorious truth regarding the kingdom and its citizens is found in his message therein. And as Jesus went up on a mountain to instruct his disciples, what did he do? He didn't speak in thunder and lightning like God did on Mount Sinai. No, he sat down as teachers would do, called his students, the men that he wanted to himself, as Mark tells us in Mark 3.13, and then opened his mouth to teach this rich discourse. And now what Jesus wasn't going to do 
was to teach about the kingdom as some distant and disconnected reality from some distant king from his disciples. But rather, he begins by telling of the blessings of God upon the people of God who are the blessed heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins by teaching the ethics of the kingdom. As he gives us an exposition of what he preached in in calling for repentance in light of the kingdom. In essence, Jesus was preaching, this is what's true of repentant citizens of my kingdom. All should know and recognize the blessing of the Lord in the evidence of specific fruit in their lives as we see in the Beatitudes. And so where has Jesus taken us so far? As we began looking at the Beatitudes last week, we find Jesus spotlighting the poor in spirit first. They possess and walk in great humility as they see their depravity, as they they see their total depravity before the holy and living God, fully depending on Him and not their own goodness. Jesus says that those who mourn are also greatly blessed as they mourn for their sin against God and and the brokenhearted receive the soothing comfort of Christ. And he then teaches us of his blessing of the meek and and the, the great inheritance that is theirs in Christ, as well as those who have a spiritual appetite for righteousness. Never forget, beloved, that God's blessing is upon those who have a strong desire to be forgiven. A strong desire to be right with God and to live in a manner that is well-pleasing to Him. And so as we look at this second half of the Beatitudes this morning, we'll consider the final four. Blessed are the merciful, in verse 7. Blessed are the pure in heart, verse 8. The peacemakers, in verse 9 and those persecuted for righteousness' sake in verses 10 through 12. And so our Lord begins with the merciful in verse 7. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Beloved, God's favor is upon those who are compassionate and gracious to others in need. And in fact, we find two cries of mercy coupled with two examples of Jesus and his compassion later in this gospel. If you consider and flip over a few chapters to Matthew chapter 9, we see the first of these two that I'd like to bring to your attention this morning. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David! Have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And again in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21, We read there, 
Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. See that? Two cries for mercy and two examples of Christ and his compassion. These examples, beloved, of our Lord are helpful not only as we see the compassion of Christ here, but as we also consider his call for us to be merciful. We must not only bear our own burdens with patience, but with sympathy, we must seek to help bear the burdens of our brethren. We see this in Job 16, verse 5. Job says, But I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. An extension of compassion, an extension of mercy. As we think about mercy and compassion, they're very close cousins in the meaning. Right. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Paul said this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on what? Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Notice here, my friends, how, how the Apostle Paul speaks of mercies that we need to put on. He speaks of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. But tender mercy is something that we need to put on. It is on that list. And they are tender mercies, notice. This refers to our need to have a heart of compassion. We need to extend compassion out of a sense of our own need for mercy. We see this. We know this. We see the example of the Lord. We see the call and the command to us to put such on. But we see our own need for mercy. And that is a part of that picture that drives us in being merciful to others. See how... It's the active presence of compassion and humility and kindness and gentleness 
and patience that fuels and supports the bearing with and forgiving one another. See that? It's these truths of the Word that need to be active in our lives at home, but also in the church. Right? It's this other and one another interaction. Sharpening, strengthening, but here, supporting, bearing up under each other, and bearing with, being long-suffering with, and, and patient with, which means that there are offenses that happen. But how do we deal with it? How do we respond to it? Are we patient with our brothers and sisters? Are we quick to forgive one another? And such forgiveness isn't optional. We know this from many portions of Scripture, from many words of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, among the other writers. And we see that this isn't optional because of why. This is what Jesus did for you and me in full. And because He did so, we must do so. And so after pronouncing blessing upon the merciful in Matthew 5, and, and pronouncing blessing upon the compassionate child of God, Jesus goes on to give really an awesome promise of what they will receive as they will receive the blessing of mercy from Him even on Judgment Day. Be merciful. You will receive mercy. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, we also see instruction regarding this. So speak and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we see very strong words, very, very pointed words, very encouraging words here. To give us great zeal to be merciful, understanding what is true to those who show none. But Matthew goes on, and, and Christ goes on in verse 8 here, to talk about and to speak to the next beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, he says, for they shall see God. Now notice that external purity isn't in view here, but rather the inward condition, the inward beauty of the heart. What is the standard fare of worldly hearts, beloved? We see a stark contrast here, don't we? They are dark and defiled. And yet for the Christian, we've been given hearts of flesh that have the spirit-wrought inward beauty of sincerity in faith and love. Psalm 24, beginning in verse 3. We see that this is true even there. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? Notice verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol or sworn deceitfully, he has received blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And we see that spoken directly by Christ here, don't we? 
Blessed are the pure in heart. They receive blessing from the Lord. Righteousness from the God of his salvation. My friends, biblical Christianity teaches the necessity of heart purity. Biblical Christianity teaches the necessity of heart purity. Those who are inwardly pure show themselves to be under the power of pure and undefiled religion. The heart must be pure. Indeed, it's purified by faith with zero toleration of a mixture of pollution in it. We must strive to keep our hearts pure from fleshly lusts from all the sinful thoughts and desires, from worldly lusts. We must keep it free from all filthiness of the flesh, knowing that that what comes out of the heart defiles the man. We see in Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19. Now, beloved, there is good reason for such purity as we consider the comprehensive comfort that the blessing of this beatitude communicates and that blessing being for they shall see God this is what is true of the people of God remember beatitude after beatitude after beatitude the Lord is showing what the repentant Christian citizen in his kingdom what's true of us and here we see that the pure in heart are blessed and they will see God our Lord Jesus Christ marvelously has washed us clean by His blood. None but the pure will see God face to face. And and being pure in Christ, we've been welcomed into His holy presence. It truly is the believer's ultimate happiness, beloved, to see God as He is. It's the Christian's ultimate joy to enjoy close fellowship with God in His glory through Jesus Christ. We long for this. We look forward for this. And such sight, remember, was part of Jesus' prayer to His Father in John 17, 24. When he prayed, Father, I I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. We long for such sight, that longing is spirit wrought, Christ, even in his high priestly prayers, praying and has prayed for such sight and His beloved people, those whom the Father has given Him. But Christ goes on in Matthew 5, verse 9, to say, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, who are peacemakers? Well, those who seek to restore people to peace with God and each other. Remember what James says is true of heavenly wisdom. It is first Pure, then peaceable. First pure, then peaceable. A wise man is blessed by God in his kingdom, as is clear by his love of peace. His seeking to make peace where it is broken, and to keep peace 
where it isn't. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul exhorts, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And beloved, this peacemaking is the very thing that Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and me and all of his beloved people. He is the ultimate peacemaker between his children and God. And that is what we desperately needed. Paul in Ephesians 2 verse 14 says this, For he himself, referring to Christ, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. We had enmity with God. We were enemies with God. We were afar off from God, away from His covenant benefits. Apart from the work of Christ. But notice verse 17, and he, referring to Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Jesus has opened the door and made the way open for us. He has reconciled us to the Father. He has welcomed us into the family of God by his work on the cross by His sinless life, by His suffering, His death, even His resurrection. We praise Him for these things. We praise Him for being our peacemaker. But beloved, notice these, as these first seven Beatitudes are true, because of these fruits of new life in Christ, Jesus goes on to inform His disciples and to inform us of a final blessing. And be clear, he's not done by any means. He's going to go on for a long time in other regards. But hear this final blessing. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. My friends, when someone comes against you, speaks terrible lies about you, slanders you to others because of your stand and faithfulness to Christ, know that that is the first step of persecution. It's oftentimes very upsetting. It's, it's oftentimes very frustrating. It's, it can oftentimes be very angering even and, and can even be doubt-inducing. We don't like being insulted and mistreated. Nobody should. Thoughts of, wait, am I I doing something wrong here? Maybe I need to walk in a different way to avoid such treatment may come to mind. But yet God calls and guides and directs you to the opposite of those thoughts. 
Jesus preached this so that his disciples would know an important aspect of the mark and cost of discipleship. The men Jesus chose to proclaim king and kingdom would receive many such stripes down the road that they would travel. And so do we today. So do we today. As the world hates Jesus, they also hate his people. As the world attacked Jesus falsely and sinfully, so too they attack us who bear his name and shine his light. And therefore it's critical that kingdom citizens recognize the the divine blessing upon us as we stand for Jesus in the midst of the onslaught. It truly is a work of grace that we do so, isn't it? It truly is a work of grace that we can have such a desire or even to have such a stand in the midst of all that is against us. But then wonderfully, Jesus goes on in his sermon to teach that the knowledge and recognition of both the truth and blessing of God weren't the only things needed in his disciples concerning this. Look at verse 12. He says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So beloved, persecution is a mark of discipleship. It's a cost of discipleship, and it should also be a cause of joy and strengthen our assurance in discipleship and in our being a disciple of Christ. Disciples of Christ must resist shrinking in despair under various persecutions, but rather have spirit-wrought gladness as as we gaze upon Jesus, our our Master and Lord, the, the great King and the suffering servant, and the reward that is ours in Him in heaven. And we are to do so knowing that this is what Satan and the world did to the prophets who were before the the disciples on the mountain and have come before us? And see a few things here regarding that statement. When you're in battle or preparing to go into battle, it's helpful to know that you're not alone. But secondly, it's helpful and strengthening and encouraging to know that there are men who have gone before. There are men who have taken such a stand that we are called to take. This isn't a new stand. The stand of faith in the living God, the stand of faith in Jesus Christ, there are those who have gone before. Yet this is our time to carry the torch and to fight the good fight. Take Peter's words to heart in 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 12, where he says, Beloved, do not, think it a strain, no, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to you as, as though some strange thing has happened to you. 
that rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. We see the similar language here to Christ. Matthew 5. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part He is blasphemed, but on your part He is glorified. We walk in this persecuted life with the Lord Jesus on our side. With the Lord Jesus before us, He is blasphemed by them. But as we walk faithfully before Him and stand for Him and proclaim His kingship and kingdom, He is glorified. This is what we must do. And we have joy in doing it. (laughs) That's spirit wrought too. For without him, we would be the opposite. We would be in despair. So as we consider these Beatitudes this morning and, and this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, beloved, take these wonderful highlights of Jesus' work in and through his kingdom people home with you today. For these words are for you, not just for the disciples on the Mount. Like his mountain disciples, he has welcomed you into his kingdom through his redeeming work. He calls you to serve him wholeheartedly. He graciously and and thoroughly teaches you glorious things and and glorious characteristics and, and beautiful fruit of what it looks like to be a faithful Christian. And then he pronounces his blessing. And the blessed rewards that are yours as that fruit is manifest in your lives. Praise the Lord for that. But I also want to ask you, how do Christ's words here in the Beatitudes challenge you to grow in repentance this morning? How do they challenge you to grow in repentance this morning? Do you have a heart of compassion toward those in need? Do you have a heart of sincerity in faith and love? Are you a peacemaker and peacekeeper, or are you a peacebreaker? Do you like to stir the pot and bring strife and conflict to relationships where there was none? When people speak evil of you, is what they're saying false? That's an important piece of what Christ said there. When they say these things falsely for my sake, if what they're saying is true, you need to repent. You need to turn from such things unto Jesus. These are all important things to consider as as we're guided and challenged by Christ in His Word here. And finally, be encouraged in your walk with the Lord this morning. Stay the course with gladness, not not with doubt or wonder and not with fear because you you see the Lord's work here. You, You see the Lord's call to have such gladness and exceeding joy in your life and He's not going to call you to those things if they're unattainable or if He's not going to bless you with these things or if He doesn't give you wonderful, solid, ample reason to have such joy in Him and serving Him in the face of the enemy.
Stay the course. Be glad in Jesus. And know the blessing of God upon you as the, as the world continues to come against you and your family. Even as the corruption of your own flesh within rails against you to tear you down. Stand for Jesus. Stand for Jesus in the midst of this with great joy in your heart and thankfulness to Him. Amen. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, You give us so much to feed upon here. Lord Jesus, thank You for painting this portrait, giving us this collage of highlights of wonderful fruit that should and must be evident in the lives of your beloved people, in the lives of those who are in your kingdom. Thank you for graciously teaching us and patiently teaching us. As sometimes and oftentimes we are dense and, and our memories are short and, and we don't understand as we ought, but yet you come to us time and again in your word and you, you call us and you show us these things and you, you pronounce your blessings and you, you give us your spirit bring these things about. Oh Lord, we praise you and we thank you for these things. And, and may what needs to be removed from our lives as we examine these things, our lives against your word, may what needs to be removed from our lives be put away quickly. And may what needs to be present according to your word grow and be more and more evident in our lives. Quickly. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.